Welcome to Follow the Science, an investigation of science, medicine, medical misinformation, and how to tell the difference. I'm your host, Faye Flam. I'm a science journalist and Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and this podcast is funded by a fellowship from the Society for Professional Journalists. Well, this has been a pretty suspenseful week for the pandemic. We have a couple of new vaccines that are looking good, but a couple of new variants of the virus that look bad. Who is going to win, the virus or the humans? I think it's pretty clear that we will, but it's getting harder and harder to say when. This week, I want to focus on something that hasn't gotten all that much attention, but should. Sex differences and pregnancy and how they affect COVID-19 and the action of vaccines. Men are significantly more likely to get severely ill from COVID-19, and pregnant women are more likely than non-pregnant women to have a bad bout with the virus. As I learned from talking to the experts, men and women may have different reactions to the COVID-19 vaccines. My guest this week is Sabra Klein. She's a microbiologist and immunologist at Johns Hopkins University, and she'd been studying sex differences and infectious disease since before the pandemic. I started my conversation with her by asking what she thought about a controversy that erupted last week when the World Health Organization announced that they did not recommend that pregnant women get the approved COVID-19 vaccines. The World Health Organization actually reversed itself shortly after that and did recommend the vaccines, but left everybody really confused. I wondered whether you thought the WHO was correct to uh, suggest that pregnant women should avoid the vaccine for now? Oh, it's such a loaded question. Here, here's what I see as the issue. We do not have adequate data. It's not that we have no data. We do not have adequate data, even in animal models, about what these mRNA vaccines do during pregnancy. There's evidence in the papers that were submitted from Moderna to the U.S. FDA that they did studies in which they gave female rats the vaccine prior to mating them and showed that this did not impact fertility or, if you will, the quality of of the pups or the baby rats who were born from these females, but they did not administer the vaccine to females while they were pregnant. She says that even though the drug companies haven't collected the right kinds of information, that for most pregnant women, the benefits of the vaccine probably far outweigh the risks. At the same time, she says, the scientific and medical community needs to start gathering this kind of data on pregnancy and vaccines, ASAP. But I will say that these mRNA vaccines are not contraindicated for pregnant females. There is no evidence that they wouldn't be safe. The assumption now is that no data means we shouldn't give it and it could have an adverse effect as opposed to no data, meaning it may not have an adverse effect. We should recommend it, but pregnant women should be in the group that's closely monitored Um, post-vaccination. How much data can we get from animal studies? You know, I'm not here to claim or be quoted that I'm saying that a pregnant rat or a pregnant mouse equates with a pregnant woman. I am not. But there are many aspects that are consistent. And one of the aspects that is very consistent is 
we could catch an early signal if there is any type of adverse effect from an exposure on a pregnant female or on her pregnancy. Do you think that, uh, that um, there could have been, there, or there should have been pregnant women in the clinical trials? Yes, and the ethics of this have already been debated. They've been being debated for decades. And the consensus is that pregnant women should be given autonomy to make a, an informed decision, especially when it comes to utilization and being part of clinical trials for which there is no concerns about safety. Understanding vaccine safety is always all about risks and benefits. Nothing is perfectly safe. And right now the risk isn't that well known for pregnant women and COVID vaccines, but it has to be balanced against a known risk of the virus, which can be worse if you're pregnant. What do we know about the effects of getting the virus if you're pregnant? The US CDC has published several reports as have academic investigators and including our group here at Johns Hopkins. So what the CDC has reported that women who are pregnant are more likely to experience more severe COVID-19 resulting in hospitalization than the general public. They also had a second report come out showing that adverse pregnancy outcomes were more common in women infected with SARS-CoV-2, meaning that preterm birth, preeclampsia, you know, other types of, of maybe complications can be associated with infection during pregnancy. So that should be going into any discussion when weighing the benefits as well as the risks associated um, with receipt of the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Well, so how do you balance the risk-benefit ratio when we know there are risks of getting the virus, but we have a sort of an unknown on the other side? That's precisely. I think all too often these issues of women's health, they are not considered early enough in the pipeline to be adequately considered. And the recommendation then falls that it, it, the burden, I should say, rather than the recommendation, the burden falls on the woman with very little to no information to make a decision. And that cannot be an informed decision. So should women who are high on the list because of comorbidities or because of a job that puts them at, at yes. high, should they get vaccinated? Yes. Yes, they should get vaccinated. They should. The day after I interviewed her, the WHO reversed itself. I went from not recommending the vaccine for pregnant women to recommending it. And that sent out a very mixed and confusing message at a time when there's already a lot of misinformation surrounding vaccines, including some really pervasive rumors that the vaccines cause infertility. What about when, when the vaccine is rolled out to a larger population? If in this moment we do have many pregnant healthcare workers who perceive the vaccine, that they are being monitored and tracked in a meaningful way that we could provide that as evidence, hopefully that there is no adverse effect of the vaccine on pregnancy or pregnancy outcome. But, you know, just shame on everybody for not, not really including pregnant females at different stages along the pipeline from the preclinical work that could have been done in animals 
to consideration of how to enroll, you know, properly and safely enroll pregnant women. So it sounds like the solution at this point would be to be really diligent about but post-licensure monitoring and, yes. uh, and then get that data. Yes. But yes. also not to warn uh, women at high risk away from the vaccine. Yes. I learned there's a lot of fascinating science out there on how the immune systems of men and women differ and how pregnancy affects immunity and therefore could change the effects of either the virus or the vaccine. Klein studies different components of the immune system, including what are called B cells and T cells. And these do different things in order to help the body retain a kind of a memory of a vaccine or a past viral infection so that you can fight off the same type of infection if you encounter it in the future. What about, can you talk a little about the mechanistic reasons that um, being pregnant uh, might affect things with a, a vaccine or getting the virus? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the incredible benefits of these um, platforms, of these mRNA vaccine platforms, is that they're inducing a, a very broad immune response. These mRNA vaccines, because of the nature of, of how these vaccines stimulate the immune system, they're stimulating a broader response that also involves T cells. And, and, and the engagement of these T cells, you know, was reported in, in publications from even the phase two trials, you know, of these mRNA vaccines. One of the things that happens during pregnancy is we do see changes in our T cell profiles. And part of why that happens when a woman is pregnant is because while it is important to be able to fight infection from an evolutionary standpoint, the most important thing going on in your body is your pregnancy and keeping your baby alive. And so some of these T cell responses that are going to be very important for being induced by the vaccine to protect us against infection are the very responses that get suppressed or dampened during pregnancy to prevent us from having any type of response that could inappropriately be developed that might attack this semi-foreign fetus that is developing. So in other words, a woman's immune system has to adjust itself during pregnancy so that it doesn't attack the fetus, which is essentially made up of foreign cells. So one thing that might happen is you might not have an adequate immune response generated in a pregnant female to these vaccines as a result of immune alterations that occur naturally during pregnancy. So that's, that's one thing that I think we need to consider. The other thing I think we need to consider is that these vaccines could induce this T cell response in a way that is not conducive to a healthy pregnancy which you would not want. So, you know, I think, I think there are two considerations. It could either be that, that, that a pregnant woman, the T cell response is dampened and therefore she doesn't have as much protection or it is not dampened and it is exuberant. And if it were too exuberant, it might actually contribute, you know, to some detrimental outcomes, including preterm delivery. And so, does the, do those same factors apply to 
different outcomes if you are pregnant and get the virus? Can Exactly. Yes. And so our group, as well as other groups, including up at Harvard, have shown that there are alterations in the immune response of pregnant women who get infected with SARS-CoV-2. It's not as robust of an immune response following infection as what we see in non-pregnant women. And so do you think it's too late? Should, should some of the people start studying, doing some animal studies? On, could they still help? I think it's never too late, especially now as we're facing variants and do these vaccines, are they even going to work optimally well against these variants? I think there's always time to, to increase our knowledge. Nobody wants to make a decision about enrolling pregnant women because of the fear of doing anything with pregnant women. But on the other hand, as a result, nobody wants to help make informed decisions or create a foundation upon which pregnant women can make an informed decision. What are some of the other instances? You, you hinted earlier that there have been other cases where um, pharmaceutical companies or the medical establishment didn't adequately test something in pregnant women. The data on the uptake of the flu vaccine, which you know, we were supposed to receive annually. The data on the uptake of the flu vaccine during pregnancy and in pregnant women, it's, it's, it's so much lower than it should be given that pregnant women are at a greater risk of more severe outcomes from flu. And every year, I mean, it doesn't make news. It doesn't make headlines, but we have pregnant women die. We have pregnancies that are lost. There are, there is definitely morbidity and mortality associated with influenza every year in pregnant women. Pregnant women are considered an at-risk population, no different from older people, younger, you know, babies, immunocompromised people, people with comorbidities. I wondered if your work also sheds any light on why uh, men are more likely to have a severe outcome with COVID than women. Absolutely. So that's, you know, absolutely. And that's, that's probably my fundamental area of research um, are male female differences and susceptibility to infectious diseases. And just as you said, COVID-19 is more severe in men. And, um, you know, we're still in our infancy at fully understanding why, but there really do appear to be aberrant immune responses occurring in men in which there are, are ample data now from several studies actually from around the world suggesting that aberrant inflammatory responses are really elevated in men as compared with women. Men are significantly more likely to be admitted into ICUs and to require ventilation. Do you think that's common with other viruses that there's a sex difference? There is, absolutely. Is it usually men that are worse off? Often men for a lot of respiratory viral infections. So in children prior to puberty and in the later decades of life, those that are the most susceptible to severe outcomes from diverse respiratory infections, including influenza, are significantly more likely to be males. 
That is, and do you think it has to do with immune differences that are related to? That's what we hypothesize and that's what we study. And, you know, we have a good bit of data, both in humans and in mice. We do a lot with animal models where we can get a little more invasive and study things in a way that would be, you know, would not be ethical in people that you do, you get much greater immune responses, greater memory responses in females as compared with males. And, you know, being at a school of public health where we've translated a lot of our work is to show that females often have greater immune responses to vaccination than males. And so we've done a lot of this with the flu vaccine. So we're interested in expanding this. One thing that's been really frustrating for me and for some of the scientists I've interviewed is that the drug makers haven't divulged anything about that minority of people who still got infected after getting their vaccines. It would really be interesting and pretty important for us to know whether those people had anything in common, whether it was the timing of their infections, whether they were infected with new variants or something else. What if those who still got COVID after the vaccines were all men? Wow, that, well, that brings up a, a question that I've been intrigued by and haven't been able to get an answer uh, to, and that is whether there's a way to study the uh, five some odd percent of people who've been in the vaccine trials who still got COVID and to see maybe whether more of them were men. Absolutely, and nope, those data aren't available. That is a shame. Yeah. It is a shame. And, you know, the other thing that really hasn't been studied is how durable, how long lasting that immunity is. And I know from studies that we were doing and that are ongoing for the flu vaccine, I can tell you that immunity is more durable in females than males, where it that that greater immunity that females have, it doesn't decline, it lasts for months and months. It might be that females don't. And if we have to do any kind of vaccine sparing in order to have more doses, you know, these are the kinds of things that, that I think we need to be thinking about both our age, as well as, you know, whether we're male or female, our biological sex. We're almost at the end of the interview, but I wanted to come back to something that's a little bit uplifting during a tough week when we've heard a lot of bad news about these new variants that are seeping in everywhere and might cause trouble with the vaccines. Well, it's true that these new variants are spreading, but she says it is possible to change the existing vaccines to work against those without necessarily having to go back to square one. You know, the other the other issue that's come up, and I, I this might be um, in your area or not, is you know, whether the, the uh, whatever upgrades they do to the vaccines to deal with the new variants, what kind of testing should we really need given the, the situation? Should we just say, okay, we'll, we'll do a little bit of testing, but we don't have to go through the whole phase one, two, and three of a-, a Absolutely. So if all you're doing is tweaking what goes into the mRNA vaccine platform, you don't need to do all that testing. So I, I for, you know, just for a relatable example, Every year, the flu vaccine does not go through testing, clinical trial testing, but we alter the strains that are contained within the vaccine. And the reason it doesn't have to go through all this additional testing every year is because the platform has stayed the same. It's just the strains that are put into the vaccine differ. And that's all this would be. So I do think that it should be rather simple if we do start to note, and, and I think those data are really starting to emerge, that, you know, some of the, the immunity um, developed 
um, from these vaccines may be perfectly good against some variants, um, but maybe not all the variants that, that are being sequenced right now. Um, so I know there's, there's a lot of concern about this South African variant and, and immunity that's being driven by these vaccines maybe not being as sufficient. It's been both fascinating and frustrating following the science here. It's fascinating that men and women have different reactions to the virus, and fascinating that there might be sex differences in the way the vaccines work. It's frustrating that we still don't have more transparency from the drug companies about those people who got COVID-19 despite getting vaccinated. And we really should have a lot more information about pregnant women and the vaccines. All we can do as journalists is keep pressing. And with these new variants on the rise, it's more important than ever to keep up good channels of communication between the public and the scientific community. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking with a lot of epidemiologists and some evolutionary biologists about the way the virus is mutating, and I'll have that ready with some up-to-the-moment information for next week's Follow the Science. Thank you for listening to Follow the Science. Follow the Science is produced by Faye Flam, with funding by the Society for Professional Journalists. Today's episode was edited by Seth Glicksman with music by Kyle Imperator. If you'd like to hear more Follow the Science, you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix.